The Trouble with Transformation, a serialized podcast by Alison Wick. Chapter 35, A Warning Bell. We sat down at the Janssen's ice cream parlor while Mrs. Blanche helped us sort out our drinks. I'd never seen Mr. Bell salivate over anything before. Salivating, fawning, these were all very undignified preoccupations. His words, not mine. But there was a definite glint in his eye as he said to Mrs. Blanche, Is this a 1958 Gaggia America coffee machine? She clucked her tongue, smiled and replied, Could it be anything but a 1958 Gaggia? Then she wandered off to make dinner. I had to agree with Mrs. Blanche. What is it with you grown men and your gadgets? Even Mr. B was not immune. Mate, it's just a coffee machine. Who cares if it's got a fancy handle and gleams like it's gilt with gold? Not me, that's for sure. I had other things going on. That same push-pull tug in my chest that I had when we were about to call Jim was back and kicked into overdrive. I wanted to know all about you, but at the same time, I didn't. Up till now, Kat and I had based our history of you upon two ingredients. The lies you'd told us and the lies we told ourselves. Once I heard the truth about you, I couldn't unhear it. There was no going back to the fiction, no matter how comforting that alternative might be. So there we were, Mr B and I, seated in Mr J's ice cream parlour, a pair of steaming mugs, coffee for him, mochaccino for me, and a plate of assorted creams between us. We sat in silence, side by side. Mr Bell sipped his coffee. I picked at the edge of my biscuit. I picked until the plate was covered in tiny snowballs of fondant. I picked until I couldn't take it anymore. Fingers still working, I turned on Mr B and blurted, Why'd he do it? Leave us, I mean, and let us go on thinking he was dead all these years. Mr Bell took a sip of his coffee, lowered his mug and said, I'm presuming you've heard the story from Dr Wilson. The threat upon Terry's life, the machine posed, the efforts from competing agencies to locate the blueprints following his death. I exhaled in a loud huff. Yes, yes, all that stuff. Tell me the rest, Mr B. I don't care about the machine or the stupid blueprints. I want to know what Terry was thinking. I need to understand why. He cast me the same one-eyebrow-raised, reproachful glance he'd been giving me since birth, and continued. You would know that Terry had good reason to believe his life was in danger, and consequently yours and Kat's as well. The bottom line is, he figured if he was out of the picture, at least you'd both be safe. But why nothing all these years? Couldn't he have at least sent us a message to let us know he was okay? Terry had his reasons. He thought people were watching you, waiting for him to make a mistake and make contact. Turns out he's not too far off the mark. He looked me in the eye. A lot of people were interested in his invention and tried to find his notes. Back in London, just after he disappeared, Terry and Kat's house was searched many times over by a variety of officials, all in the name of looking for evidence of Terry's murder but we both know the real reason. I lifted my mug and took a large gulp of coffee, contemplating as I drank. On the whole, it made sense, but it didn't make me feel any better about the you leaving us bit. Plus, there was one thing still bugging me. 
but if Terry wanted to keep us safe, why did he send Dr. Wilson to find the notebook? The colour bled from Mr. Bell's lips. What do you mean? The reason Dr. Wilson came looking for us, he said Terry sent him. It's why we went looking for the notebook in the first place. He told us Terry needed our help to rebuild the machine. Why did you think Dr. Wilson contacted us? Well, I had a few theories, but not that, he said, loosening his tie with an impatient tug. I thought maybe he might have come to warn you and got himself killed for his troubles. Dr. Wilson was the one who warned Terry about Makepeace and the other government agents in the first place, 12 years ago. He'd arranged an elaborate scheme to smuggle Terry and the machine out of the country, but by then Terry was too jumpy and didn't trust anyone. When he disappeared, Jim and I were the only ones to know he was still alive. My mouth suddenly went gluey, like I'd just swallowed an oversized spoonful of peanut butter. When my jaw finally came unstuck, I said, Jim, the person we thought was Jim. We told him everything. Who is he really? Mr. Bell ground his teeth and winced. I have no idea, but I think we can assume with the disposal of Dr. Wilson, the Jim you contacted, whom I doubt was the real Jim, has his own agenda. One thing I do know for certain, Terry would never have put you at risk for his own purposes, and as far as I know, he has no plans to try and rebuild that machine. It's only ever brought him trouble. We'd better get back to the lab and let Jansen know he may need to step up security tonight. I nodded stiffly and took one last squeak from my mug. The velvety warmth of the coffee and chocolate did little to ease the prickly cold feeling that suddenly came over me. I pushed the rest of my drink to the side and stood up to go. Then the kitchen intercom buzzed and a voice blared through the speakers. It was Mr J. Freckles? Bell? You still in the kitchen? Better hurry back to the lab. We've had a breach. We scrambled through the maze of corridors, not knowing what we'd find when we reached the rest of the gang. What if Danny and the others had locked themselves inside the lab and Mr. Bell and I were stuck outside with the intruder? I eyed Mr. Bell up and down, wondering, not for the first time, whether he carried a gun. There was no one waiting outside the lab when we arrived, which could mean one of two things. Option A, Mr. J had the intruder under control and security were now handling it. I didn't doubt that somewhere on Mr. J's hyper-organised property, there'd be a holding cell specifically for such occasions. Then there was the less appealing option B, that the bad guy had somehow ambushed Mr. J, Danny and Betty, and they were now being held hostage in the lab. Mr. Bell wasn't taking any chances. He tucked himself around the corner, just out of view from the lab door. He jerked his head towards the corridor from where we'd just come, gesturing for me to hide. My pulse picked up pace. I nodded to Mr B and silently pointed at the lab doorbell, indicating my agreement to hide, but only after I'd pressed the buzzer. I was quick and small. We both knew it. I should be the one to ring. Mr Bell silently disagreed, motioning with his eyebrows and jaw for me to get out of sight. I folded my arms and stood my ground. Mr B took a measured breath, then mouthed, Okay then, be quick. Heart still hammering, I dashed up to the lab door, pressed the buzzer, 
then scooted to my hiding place. A few moments later, the door opened and Betty stepped out into the corridor. She had a huge grin on her face, which would be a good sign from anyone else. But with Betty, there were no guarantees. Hello, she called out. Is that you, Ginger? You'll never guess who's here, she said, still grinning. I cast a glance at Mr B. He raised an eyebrow, then stepped into the hallway. When I followed a moment later and came face to face with Betty and the intruder, I almost lost my balance. I grabbed Mr B's arm to steady myself. Betty was right. Standing before me was the last person I'd ever expect to see at the Janssons. Sean, what are you doing here? Mr B's arms tensed under my fingers. I was digging my nails into his forearm. Sorry, I said to Mr B as I released him. Belle, you seem to have brought in a stowaway, Mr J said, ushering us back into the lab. Dave found him skulking around in the garage. You, Mr Bell said, glaring at Sean. You were the boy who told me the front bonnet was scratched. Sean peeked out from his black canopy of hair. Sorry, that was just a diversion so I could climb in your boot. But why on earth would you want to do that? Mr Bell said. It's a long story. I didn't realise you were coming here. I thought you'd be taking Ginger home. I've been trying to speak with her alone, to warn her, you see, but it's been too risky to approach her in public. I figured if I hid in the boot of your car, I could hop out once we were at Ginger's house and find her. Sean was met with stunned silence. How can you know? Betty whispered. Sean's eyes widened. You know already? Danny shrugged. Well, we didn't realise the extent of the danger until tonight, but we had some idea that we needed to be careful. That's a relief, Sean said. Those twins haven't let me near you and your security settings are so tight I couldn't call or message you. I knew this was my last chance to warn you that Brian and his gang were launching their attack tomorrow. I just had to come and find you. I didn't realise you already knew. The twins? A cold, dense feeling developed in the pit of my stomach. I looked to Danny. He was speechless. So you weren't coming to warn us about Jim, or whatever his name is, stalking us? What exactly did you come to warn us about? Sean massaged his temples. The science fair, of course. Brian's planning to embarrass you on television. I had to let you know. You shouldn't go. My belly turned to ice. Explain, I demanded. So he did. According to Sean, these things had gone down. Following the paint-slinging incident in the quad, Meg had sought out Brian and offered her allegiance. She'd somehow convinced him that if they joined forces to take me down, things would go back to normal. Brian would again rule the school, with Meg, not me, by his side. The Fishers were in on it too. All those compliments, their fawning ways, which had flattered me into thinking they were on my side, were just a ruse. They were spies, designed to infiltrate our circle and report back to Brian on Danny and my movements. They were all working to a single, highly coordinated master plan. Brian, Meg and the Fishers were planning to strike during the science fair. I overheard them talking about your hair and something about beat, Sean said. They said you'd die of embarrassment. The cold, leaden sensation in my stomach thawed into a slow burn. Sean was telling the truth. I knew it. Brian always played the long game. 
He and I had done the same with Kim Christensen. How could I have been so stupid to think he'd let me off so easily? How do you know all this? I asked. Sean flushed. I'd been having a bad day. My dad had called the day before. He wanted to see me and I... Never mind. I stepped out of art class for a bit. I just needed a breather and sat in the supplies cupboard. A few minutes later, the twins came in. I hid behind the screen press. That's when I heard them talking about Brian's plan. After they'd gone, I tried to sneak back into the classroom, but they saw me. I tried to get to you several times, but the twins were too vigilant. I had a flashback of that moment a week ago when I'd seen the twins standing over Sean. It all made sense. I curled my tongue and sucked in air yoga style in that way Kat had shown me a zillion times before. After a few stabilising breaths, I said, well, that's going to make the fair interesting. But don't you see, Sean exclaimed, you can't go tomorrow. It's too risky. I turned on him. Look, I really appreciate you going to the effort of stowing away in Mr B's car to warn me. I fought hard not to laugh as a frown darkened Mr B's expression. Poor Mr B. But I've got my own stuff going on. I can't be letting Brian get in my way. Sean bit his lip. I set my jaw in response. I wouldn't budge. I wouldn't. But when his eyes filled with tears, my resolve broke. I'm sorry, I said, clearing my throat. I get that you're trying to protect me, but you don't understand. Bailing out of tomorrow is not an option. There's too much at stake. She's right, Danny said. We're too close now not to see it through. Why don't you just call the exhibition centre and tell them what Brian's up to? I did, Sean said with a wince. But when I told them someone was planning to do something bad with a beat to Ginger's hair, they told me to stop wasting their time. He shrugged. Apparently they get a lot of crank calls. Besides, Sean added, he'd never do something that risky himself. He's probably charmed some poor year seven sad case and convinced them to do it. Like he did with you. He caught my glare and cut off short. Anyway, we'd probably just end up getting some poor sucker in trouble and Brian will be free to torture us for the rest of our lives. Danny pursed his lips and shot me a look. He didn't have to say it. Sean was right. Well, Betty said brightly, this isn't the first complication we've worked through together. We'll figure it out. Besides, Daddy always has a plan. Right, Daddy? Daddy? Daddy?